Keep calm and carry on. You know the phrase, keep calm and, and carry on. Uh, coined by the British government in 1939 during the onset of World War II as uh, that dark threat of invasion cast a shadow over public life, uh, the government wanted to boost morale and used much propaganda to that end, including this phrase, uh, keep calm and carry on. Now, the phrase has had something of a kind of bizarre renaissance in recent years where it's been picked up and modified and turned into a variety of memes and then also pasted onto nearly anything that money can buy from a coffee mug to a t-shirt to your iPhone case keep calm and carry on this quintessentially British summary of what it means to, to live with that stiff upper lip the problem is uh, you know, it's a great phrase but it's, it's really hard to do. It's really hard to keep calm and sometimes it's really hard to carry on. All you need to do at night is turn on the news and hear all is well. Peace at home and, you know, goodwill amongst the nations. This is a, a time of happiness. When was that ever the lead story? Uh, we turn on our news sets to hear, hear about a conflict at home, conflict in the nations. But it's not just our, our news sets that make it hard to, to keep calm and carry on. We know in our own life, lives too. So this, it's the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? And it's one of the most stressful too. You know, have you got your tree up? Have you started working on that Christmas list? Have you got everything done in the office that needs to get done before the holidays arrive? And, and are, you, are you hosting this year? May God have mercy on your soul, right? Um, one of the great perks of being 4,000 miles from family, we are not hosting this year, right? And uh, that can be stressful. And then we add to ourselves, you know, that, that stress of perfection that, that we put upon ourselves, that everything has to be just right. It becomes a very fraught time. Now, on, on top of this good season in our lives, our lives also contain uh, much harder things than these, do they not? The, the stress of work and the health issues and, and the fallings out. It's hard to keep calm and carry on. And the, true, the same is true, of course, in our, our spiritual lives as well. Uh, don't we sadly all know people who have, who have fallen away from the faith? People who have made shipwreck of their faith? People who have finished poorly. And we ourselves, we ourselves have faltered. We ourselves have struggled as we have battled conflict without or sometimes the demons within. How is it that we can keep calm and carry on individually and as a church? Live lives that we'll look back on without regret. And who knows, even enjoy the journey as well. Well... The good news from our text this morning is that God is Emmanuel. God is with us and he has encouragement for us. He provides everything that we need, both for this life and even for the next. Everything that we need. And so we are a hopeful people this morning. Let's look at the text and see three things that help us carry on. First of all, verses 17 and 18, we see that God's people in Moses' day and God's people today carry on under the providence of God. 
We carry on under the providence of God. Look at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. It was the the best route. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. So this is a very significant moment in the life of God's people. The Israelites have been delivered from the land of Egypt and are on their way to the promised land. Now this represents the culmination of the hopes and dreams of of many years. So much expectation and anticipation had gone into this moment. The people had been in, in slavery in Egypt. They'd been oppressed there and God had promised that he would take them from that land and take them to a new land that would be their own, this promised land. It's a a great moment for them. But as soon as they begin the journey, they realize that they're taking a really strange route, a really strange route from Egypt to the promised land. The most direct path lies before them. They can see the interstate. They can see I-95. And then Moses, their leader, takes an early exit and leads them down a series of back roads. Now, in Israel, as today, I'm sure there were some backseat drivers. You know, are you one of these people, right? Hey, this isn't the best way. Take, take the parkway. Go this way. Go that way. Take a right. Take a left. This, is the, um, this will be a faster way to get us to the promised Land. Well, unfortunately, in this case, the backseat drivers are right. <laughs> They're right. Taking the wilderness way makes no sense. It's, it's not the most logical or the most direct route. Taking the wilderness way makes no sense. But don't we know that appearances can be deceiving? Things aren't always as they seem. Reminds me of a story of some 200 years ago outside the town of Baden, Germany, where an officer arrested a disheveled, dirty-looking homeless man for loitering and vagrancy. Upon his arrest, though, this man complained that he was not homeless and not causing any trouble, but was, in fact, the great composer Beethoven. The officer laughed that such a man would be of influence and standing would find himself looking so disheveled and assumed that this homeless man had simply had too much to drink and took him off to jail. Well, only later did a local musician confirm it was in fact true. The man he had arrested was the great composer. Appearances can be deceiving and in the same way the route the Israelites go down looks and appears to be disheveled and dirty but turns out to be beautiful music. Why? Look at verse 17. God explains. He says, we're going this way lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. See, God knew that the most direct route from Egypt to the promised land would take the people down primary roads that were marked by a series of Egyptian forts that we have archaeological evidence of today. In other words, at every exit down that most direct path, they would encounter armed resistance. And God wants to spare them such swift and significant discouragement. He doesn't want them to be tempted beyond what they can bear as soon as they've left the land of Egypt. And so, for reasons of um, kindness, 
and for reasons of mercy, he leads them on this somewhat circuitous, convoluted route. For reasons of his mercy and of his kindness. Now this, for us, is a great example of what we call providence. What we call a providence. That we don't believe in mere fortune. We don't believe in mere chance, mere luck. We don't believe in mere serendipity. We believe instead in, in, in providence, in something so much better that tells us that we have a God who is in control of all things. A God who is in control of all things, from the large things to the details and everything in between. And he works through the flow of human history in order to bless his people. God is in control and he's working through the flow of history in order to bless his people. It reminds me of a story of Kari Ten Boom, and she records this story in her best-selling book, The Hiding Place. It recounts the, the tense times in Holland during the German invasion of World War II and how one night she tossed restlessly in her bed as the night air and indeed her sleep had been shattered by warplanes firing overhead. Hearing a noise down in the kitchen, she realized it was her sister making a cup of tea. And so up she got and, and went down to join her. And the two of them spoke in, these, in the darkness of these uh, early hours. At one point, there was an explosion nearby and their saucers rattled. But in time, as in most nights, eventually the fire died down and they decided it was time then to go back to bed. So uh, Corey stumbled her way back up the stairs, uh, feeling out in the darkness, made her way to her bedroom and uh, went to place her hands to pat her pillow. And as she did so, she felt something sharp and then blood trickling down her hands. They fetched a light and saw that a piece of shrapnel had blown through their window and destroyed the bed that she'd been lying on moments before. Just moments before. She rushed back downstairs to see her sister who began to bandage her hand. And as she did so, Corey said to her sister, what if I hadn't heard you? What if I hadn't come downstairs? And she kept, kept repeating this in her shock. What if I hadn't heard you? What if I hadn't come downstairs? Until her sister stopped her and said, Corey, stop. There are no ifs in God's world. There are no ifs in God's world. Corey Ten Boom didn't die that night. She wasn't hit by shrapnel that night. And it wasn't mere chance. It wasn't mere fortune. It wasn't luck. It wasn't serendipity. It was providence. God working through the flow of human history, working through a cup of tea, in order that she might be saved and go on to rescue countless Jews who were being persecuted during the Nazi Holocaust. God knows what he's doing. Now, this is an encouragement, right? Because... So many of us find, all of us find, that the life takes us down unexpected paths. Sometimes we find ourselves on the wilderness way with health issues and job stress and, and family pain. We've all experienced seasons of sadness, seasons of frustration, seasons of struggle. Perhaps you're even in one of these just now, struggling down wilderness way, unsure of what your God is up to. But when we find ourselves in these places, we want to find encouragement in the providence of God, in what our text is laying out before us, in the fact that 
your route right now might not make sense, but it's been directed by God's kindness. And it's been directed by his mercy. He is working through the flow of human history in order to bring blessing to us, his people, so that when you don't know what God is doing, do you know, you know that feeling? God, okay, all things work together for good. I get it, but I have no idea how you're going to pull that off in this situation. Right? It really appears to me like I have no idea what you're doing. Say that and remember, you don't know what he's doing but he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. And we can trust him with our lives. And that brings a helpful perspective to us that ministers to the discontent we feel in the present or the fear that we might have for the future, that we can trust him with our lives because he knows what he's doing. We carry on, even on the wilderness way, under the providence of God. Point one providence of God. The second thing we see comes in verse 19, which is a kind of interesting and first glance obscure verse. We carry on, yes, under the providence of God, but also on the promises of God. We carry on with the promises of God. Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Random. Strange verse. We're just getting our head around the travel itinerary when Moses shows up with a box of bones. And we think, what, what, what's going on here? Well, a couple of hundred years earlier, Joseph had risen to prominence in Egypt. He'd actually become a man of power, a man of influence. He'd become the equivalent of prime minister there. But Though he had this position of power and this position of influence, he never forgot where he came from, and he certainly didn't forget the God to whom he belonged. He was in Egypt, but Egypt wasn't in him. He remembered his people, and he remembered his God, and he knew that his God had sworn to deliver the Israelites from Egypt and to take them to the promised land. He knew that one day, someday, God was going to free all of Israel from this oppression and slavery and take them to their own home. And he believed that promise and he loved that promise and he was captivated by that promise. So when it came time for him to die, he gathered his family and said, guys, this promise is so important to me and I am so sure that it's going to happen that I want you to take me with you when it does. Genesis 50 verse 25. He believed the promise that God was going to make it come true. And so he is then buried in Egypt and his body becomes a vivid testimony to the promise of God. It's as if you couldn't pass his tombstone without seeing an epitaph that said, this land is not our home. This land is not our home. And in time, Joseph's hope became the people's hope. They too began to believe in the promise. They persevered under oppression, knowing that deliverance would come. They carried on under the promises of God. Now, of course, God makes all kinds of different promises in the Bible. And as Bill helpfully pointed out last Sunday night, we need to be careful with these promises in that we shouldn't base our lives on promises that actually apply to those they were spoken to, but don't really apply to us in the same way. 
So the example Bill gave was how the Lord promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child after years of infertility. That doesn't mean that every couple struggling today with infertility will end up with a child as, as many of us have, have painfully experienced. And so we don't want to be that church that says, look, there's God's promise, name it, claim it, it will happen in your life. That's cheap, it's shallow, and it's, it's false. We want to be careful about how we apply the promises of God to ourselves. But surely verse 19 points us to a promise that most definitely applies to us. Most definitely applies to us because Joseph believed the promise of God and his bones rose to see the promised land. And believer in Jesus Christ, you believe this morning in a resurrected Savior. You believe in a Savior who is alive. So though your bones may be buried here in Egypt, they too will rise to see that true and greater promised land. We are that pilgrim people who will die and be buried and whose bodies will lie here as a testimony to the hope that we have beyond this life. And on that day, that great day, that glorious day that we sung of earlier, Jesus, who is the first fruits, the one who resurrected to show us what our own experience would be like, would raise us also so that our bones will see the promised land. Now, is that not of great comfort to us? That ultimately, you have no struggle, no problem, uh, no shame, no sadness that will not be conquered on that great and glorious day. Because Christ has already conquered it all for us. Ultimately, we have a hope in a land that is greater than this one. And that should, that should be doing a work in our heart. We should be fostering that kind of eternal perspective where we have our eyes on a greater horizon. Not so that it will make us care less about this world, but so that we will be able to carry on in it. We carry on under the promises of God. Third thing we see then in our text, we carry on under his providence and under his promises, but also verse 21, we also carry on in the presence of God. You see it there, verse 21, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. Verse 22, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So their route is unusual, but their movements aren't panicked. Why? Because the invisible God has given them a visible sign of his presence with them. A pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to lead them by day and to lead them by night. Now, what must it have been like for these pilgrim people to receive these signs? They have all the fear of Egypt behind them. They have all the uncertainty of the future before them. And into this context, the Lord brings a manifestation of his powerful presence. Reflecting on this in our Advent devotional, Jeff writes, I imagine the pillar of God's presence instilled a great sense of security, comfort, and clarity for Moses and the people. Even though they didn't know exactly where they were headed or how long their journey would take, 
there could be no doubt of God's guidance, direction, and timing. God gave them a yellow brick road, and then he walked down it with them, showed them the way, and went there with them. God has not left them alone. He assures them he is near, he is present, he is among them. Down in my office here at the church, I have a a kind of collection of mementos, a collection of knickknacks. Uh, if you ever come into my office, you can point to any number of them, and I'll, I'll tell you the backstory as, as to why I have them. And the bottom line of them all, really, is that they remind me of, of people that are, that are very important to me in my life, remind me of my loved ones. So, you know, there's a picture of my parents, and then there's a, a, an ornament that my sister gave me that was carved, a carved chess piece made on the island on which we were both born. Uh, there's uh, a book, an old book from 1827 that my, my grandfather gave me. These mementos, these knickknacks that somehow make the distance begin to feel small. And I'm sure you have similar things. You maybe have faces on your fridge that remind you of those you are, love and, and are praying for. Perhaps you have old grainy photos in your, in your living room of those who've gone before or some item that was handed down to you by the generations that have gone before. There's a strange power in these kind of possessions. But at the end of the day, they're, they're just reminders. They're only reminders. The, the actual separation isn't narrowed. I can hold these things, but the ocean remains as large as it is, and the expanse between earth and heaven remains larger still. I'd never confuse these items, these knickknacks, these mementos, for the presence of the one they represent. The actual presence of these loved ones. And so in our text we see that God is not giving us knickknacks. He isn't giving us mementos. He isn't giving us mere reminders. He's giving us a visible sign, yes, but a visible sign of a present reality, of something that's actually taking place in this moment. He's saying, as you see the pillars of cloud, as you see the pillar of, of fire, you can know, not just that I, you know, I was with you in the past, not even that I've promised to be with you in the future, this isn't a thing just to give you some kind of warm, fuzzy sense, some knickknacks, some memento. When you see these things with your eyes, so surely can you know that I am with you now in this present moment. And of course, what God did for the Israelites, he's done for us. Our God is the only God who brings his presence into your present wherever you find yourself this morning. He's done so in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who comes and he finds you. Don't you love that Jesus finds you just as you are, not as you ought to be? He comes, he comes and meets you, meets you in your wilderness way, calling you back to himself, giving you life everlasting, and then promising to be with you. I love Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. It says, He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my help, I will not fear. See, Jesus, he's not just saved us and left us to it. He has then said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, because he was left and forsaken. Why? That he might be near us. 
And, and because, catch the connection, because he has said that, we can say, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. And this makes a difference to it. It makes all the difference to us. That the presence of our Savior is with us in the present. Apply it to the very moment that you're in or to the next moment that you're worried about. In the office, with that conversation, with that relative, in that very next step, you know that you will take that step with his presence. Now we might say, yeah, but, you know, a pillar would sure be nice. (laughs) You know? And I say on one level, yeah, I get that. Um, It would be. But I think it's important to remember, uh, first, that even the Israelites didn't have the pillar all the time. (laughs) And more importantly, secondly, that the Lord has given us different pillars. He's not left us without direction either. He's given us his word, his word which is what? A lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So that when we're struggling, when we need direction, we can read it and experience his presence in our presence. He's not just given us his word, he's given us his church. You want a cloud? How about a great cloud of witnesses? That can come around you when you're struggling. That can come around you when you need help and and speak into into your life the words that that you need to hear from the Lord and find and and experience his his presence in your, your presence. Given us his word, he's given us his church, he's given us his spirit, the one who guides us into truth, so that truly we are never alone, and when we sense that we are, we can pray to him and, and experience his presence in our present. We carry on in the presence of God. If you if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian this morning. I want to be honest and say, I'm not sure how you'll carry on. Just in my own life and my own experience, one of the kind of marvels for me is, is, is how people make it without Jesus. Because I look at my life, which sometimes is, a, is, is still a mess, right? And think, there's no way I'd make it through without him. And we know you were not made, I was not made to live without Jesus and we do not have what it takes we do not have what it takes to make it without him and so if you if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian this morning I don't think I have anything for you apart from an invitation that will give you everything (laughs) which comes not from me but from Jesus Jesus who comes and, and wants to find you exactly as you are not as you ought to be. And wants to forgive you full and free. And wants to then walk with you so that his providence will be for your good and his promises will prove true and his, his presence will be with you at all times. He offers you himself this morning that you may come and find this gospel's true. If you would describe yourself as a Christian this morning, then keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on under the providence of God, the mighty God who's in control of all things and rules and reigns through the flow of human history in order to make all things work together for your good.
and carry on under the promises of God, every single one of which is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And carry on with the presence of God, the one who has drawn near in his Son and who now, through his word and his church and his spirit, brings his presence into your very present. He has provided everything we need for this life and the next so that we can live this journey and and live it well and, and even have joy along the way. In our text this morning we see why. We we are a hopeful people. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, speaking to us again clearly through your word that in these stories and these historical accounts we find truths that uh, transcend one day one time but apply to all people throughout all history and so we're grateful for your providence for your rule and reign in our lives and and lord i pray that it would be an encouragement to some especially those who are are just struggling with with being on the wilderness way with experiencing things they'd rather never experience that that you would remind them of your mercy and your kindness, of your power over all things, that, that in the end, Lord, uh, you know what you're doing. And Lord, we pray we continue under your, your promises as well, having our eyes fixed, not on the horizon of this world, but on the next, believing really, truly, Lord, that through Christ our bones will rise to the promised land. It gives us hope, it gives us perspective as we, as we journey on the way. And lastly, Lord, we pray we'd carry in your own in your presence. Christ who is with us, he is Emmanuel, even now. And we celebrate him this Advent and uh, give you praise and honor in his name. Amen.